Winona Forever is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts about movies and nostalgia, head on over to cageclub.me. Hi, I'm Lindsay Gibb. And I'm Rekha Tulsaram. And this is Winona Forever. So this is our Great Balls of Fire episode. Um, so it's my turn to describe what this is. So basically it's just a biopic about Jerry Lee Lewis. And Winona Ryder comes into this because she plays his 13-year-old cousin, Myra, who he marries. So yeah, this is another square dance for us. <laughs> um, in that we're creeped out by the age difference. Between her and her lover. <laughs> I think most people are creeped out by this age so. difference. This and the worst part is that this is a true story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just it just goes through his career, but very it very quickly jumps into the um the like peak of his career. I don't know if he yeah. struggled at all, but it really didn't make it seem like he did. It was like a short window they captured of his yeah. existence and <laughs> It's like he just went to Sun Records and like recorded something and then had to go and follow up and be like, hey, did you listen to it? And then they were like, this is great. We can sell this. And yeah, then they just started, you're going to be bigger than Elvis. And, and then you see his chart name on the charts go up and up. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those fast, fast. Fast forward through his life. Yeah. Um, I think I saw Roger Ebert said that about this. He didn't, I think he gave it like one star or yeah, I think he used stars in. in yeah, uh, he yeah he he starred things. I don't yeah. Know, yeah, he didn't like it at all. No, he, and he, and that was one of his criticisms was that it it like just kind of shot to the top peak of his career and didn't really cover much of it. Um, and I think Jerry Lee Lewis didn't like it in the end either, though he no, was he didn't involved in the making of yeah, it. Yeah, he he did all the vocals of his singing uh, over Dennis Quaid's tracks. I think yeah. Dennis Quaid was originally gonna gonna sing it and then. Jerry Lee Lewis was like, no. Well, <laughs> apparently Jerry Lee Lewis did listen to Dennis Quaid stuff and thought it wasn't bad. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought he was just like, okay, it's fine, but you should still use, you know, the killer. I'm sure. I'm sure he was like, yeah, use mine. I didn't know he was called the killer. Yeah, I didn't know until the, the end of this. Yeah. yeah. Until the research here. I don't know. That's a weird name. Yeah. Because he killed the, the keys? The keys, I guess. Yeah. Well, he was pretty... Uh, Animated. I mean, yeah. he set his uh, piano on fire. I almost said keyboard. Yes, but no, if that's piano. not fictionalized. I don't know. That's true. Yeah, who knows? Because I think um, there was a lot of criticism. The um, The biopic was based on Myra's book mm-hmm. about her life. And afterwards, the person who co-wrote that book with her said that it, the, the movie wasn't really based in reality. And the director was like, well, I didn't intend for it to be it just was i used the book as a launching point so who knows how much of this is actually what happened in his life though he did actually marry his 13 year old cousin so that's definitely true the director said this movie does not represent itself in any way to be a historical documentary we used a book as a jumping off point so it could be just a lot of fun (laughs) i mean i don't i get that the like most biopics kind of play with 
the actual things that people said or things, but they usually try to stay in like actual events that happened. And I don't really understand if that's not what they did here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe know? they like skimmed over like bigger, yeah, bigger things I and just cut. They really edited his life, I think. Right. Well, so yeah, I mean, what did you think of this movie in general? <sighs> It's really like for me I don't I don't like this movie. Mm. I just gave it two stars on Letterboxd. Um, nice. Chris is giving a thumbs down. Chris is here. Chris Chris watched Hi, the movie everybody. too. Yes, I did. And he has feelings about it. I do. I do. He really liked it. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I liked it. I was fascinated by it. Like I couldn't look away and I was um, not expecting to like it because you know, it looks a lot like bad TV. You know, it doesn't have like a certain edgy or aesthetic scheme to it and there's but as you get deeper into it there's the choices are more and more bizarre um as a biopic it definitely doesn't i didn't think fit the biopic mode or biopic if you prefer (laughs) yeah i say biopic too but i had to like make myself say biopic for this is it biopic i mean it seems like the, I'd love it I if guess this so. is turned into is it biopic <laughs> or biopic? Uh, it seems like it would be biopic because it's a biographical yeah I guess picture, so right mm-hmm. but I say biopic same good <laughs> it's, it's agreed upon I'm glad we all but one that. thing I like about you you're mentioning it being compressed and I think about some of my favorite bi biopics <laughs> are um, the ones that are about a short slice, a slice of an artist's life. So you have like, um, there was a Jimi Hendrix one called uh, uh, Jimmy All All Is By My Side. And then there was another one about Miles Davis recently by Don Cheadle called um, Miles Ahead. And they both dealt with like a couple weeks, a couple months okay. or a couple weeks. And, okay. and I found that you can actually tell the story instead of having to go through like the True. arc of like say... True. Straight out of Compton or Ray or something. Yeah, right, right. Years and years of their life, right, Mm -hmm. yeah. No, that makes sense. And, I mean, obviously, if they're basing it on Myra's book, I'm assuming most of her book would have been about her time with him, so it had to kind of focus on him being married to her. Um, So that was kind of, that was the thing. I had never seen this movie before, and... Going into it, my main thing was, okay, so he was married to his 13-year-old cousin, and that's who Nona is in this. So preparing myself for that. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. Uh, I don't know who I was talking to about it, but maybe it was it Chris. Anyways, um, somebody was saying that she was really good at playing a 13-year-old. This was you? Mm-hmm. Say yeah. it then, because it's your thought, not mine. <laughs> well, it's funny, because we were talking about this in uh, 1969, about uh, how Nona's clothes would change as her character would develop and yeah there's um there's this really jarring um demarcation in the film where Winona becomes you know the the cousin to the wife I guess as horrible as that sounds mm-hmm. um but there's a moment where like she chooses the kitchen and then she gets these clothes and she's wearing like a pillbox hat and a blazer and she just looks like a modern woman yeah. circa 1950 whatever right. um but but Winona Ryder as like a 17, 18 year old, whatever actor is very, is like did a really good job. I thought of like moving the way 13 year old in grown up clothes would, who's trying to like keep up the. And like the, trying to pretend that she's 15 yeah. or whatever when they to, go to England. Yeah. Yeah. 
and which was really yeah. well like punctuated when the when she burn, almost burns the kitchen down and she's like I'm only 13 right you know, it's like, like awkward like I don't yeah. know what I'm doing I and, just you know it's dress up like almost and that's the that's also the totally horrifying part of it like the fact that you know she's just married him and very much was kind of forced into marry him and then She's do like working in the kitchen and then she's crying and saying, well, I'm only 13. And it's like, yeah. And you've been forced to like leave your parents. She was crying when mm-hmm. she was taken away from her parents to live with him. And then like, sure, it's fun to go shopping. And that part was cute and everything when she's shopping for the house and just like throwing money at everybody. <laughs> like, I want everything in this store. I have to say, I loved all of the furniture that she was buying for the house. <laughs> she had good taste. Yes. Yeah. Though they never really set up the house. It looked like there was boxes in the house like the entire time. Yeah. It was like they just got delivered. Never never... Um But yeah, it's really sad that she's just like, I'm 13. Do you expect me to do? Uh... Winona said uh, this, I like found like very little of her saying, talking about the film, but this one she's talking specifically about how she looked and she's like the face I chose is really revealing I couldn't believe it was me it it looks weird to me Dennis is so big and I'm so little I don't look a day over 13 except when I took off my shirt and I have this bullet bra on which is true like she is is creepy and she knew it I guess yeah she totally looked the part Um, Um, when she auditioned Myra Gay Lewis uh, said she was a gift from God Yes, I I, I, that, I read that as well. Um, so I guess Myra, I don't know if Myra liked the movie. It seemed like everybody didn't like it, but I didn't read anything about whether Myra liked it. I feel like it was the most like innocent telling of what happened to her life. Because right. It <laughs> cuts sure out all the bad one. stuff. Yeah, like right. I actually looked up really what happened to the to oh. Myra Gill Lewis. Okay, please do tell. So they had two kids. Um, That's right. Together. And their first child drowned at the age of three. Oh, so that was the one that she was pregnant with at the end of the movie, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis Jr. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure that was Jerry Lee Lewis Jr. But he had two kids from a previous marriage, which you don't see in this. Right, yeah, you don't even get the... And I, actually, Jerry Lee Lewis was married seven times. Oof. So he divorced Myra in like the seventies, and and that, it was like an abuse situation. He definitely hit her. I mean, they definitely try to like show that that was happening uh, yeah. at points in it. And then when he's all like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry," and then she's trying to tell him that she's pregnant, he's like thinking that she's trying to make him feel guilty, I guess, for hitting her like one yeah. time. And so then he starts getting mad and goes to hit her again. So it's like, yeah, clearly showing that he's just an abusive guy. So that part was true. Um. Yeah. And with the seven marriages thing, one thing that struck me early on in the film is when the first time he comes to the house, I think he says, um, well, technically I wasn't married twice because I never divorced my first wife. Right. It's a very cavalier attitude toward um, divorce in 1956 Southern America. Like, right. Yeah. It seems to me. Very blasé, like, you know, the old second, third marriage, no problem, you know? Like, was he just like the the weirdo in the family who's just, oh, he just says whatever's on his mind or, or, or whatever because he just seemed um, yeah, kind maybe. of unhinged and... and uh, they just let him be the oh, the wild one, you know? He seemed really arrogant, so maybe that's part of it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he just says whatever he wants because he thinks that he's, like, his talent 
usurps him having to be polite or, or you know, totally, follow yeah. any kind of like guidelines of society, I guess. Mm-hmm. He's an artist. Yeah. What did, okay, so um, so we had Jerry Lee Lewis played by uh, Dennis Quaid. Yes, yes. Dennis Quaid. I, I was expecting Randy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I knew it was Dennis Quaid, but for some reason when he came on the screen, I'm like, he doesn't look like I remember him looking, and I was like, oh, I was picturing Randy Quaid. <laughs> Um, when I saw John Doe in the credits, I thought it was the dude from X. It is, and it it is was. the dude from oh, X. Oh, it was? Yeah. yeah. Oh. It's him. It's oh, him. Cool. Yeah. Okay, I was like, are there two John Doe? No, they just got a cool skill guitarist to come in the movie. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, oh gosh, I didn't write down who it was. Mojo Nixon was the other band member. Oh, oh cool. That was like a super group. It was. Yeah, Jerry Lewis's band was really cool. See, that's the thing. I can't tell if if this movie is like really bad and I, I like it because I'm making fun of it or if it's actually cooler and smarter than me and it's <laughs> trolling me and I'm watching it and I'm just like getting twisted into knots about it. I Maybe. think it wasn't terrible. Like I didn't, I haven't rated it yet on Letterboxd. <laughs> I didn't really think of it. I was just thinking about what I was going to say about it. I wasn't really thinking about the quality of it at the time that I was watching it. But like I had never seen it before. I had no real expectations for it being good because it was just something I never thought about watching. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did enjoy watching it. I was, I think, a lot because I knew John Doe was, uh, yeah, John Doe was in it and uh, Mojo Nixon and stuff. So I was kind of like looking for them and like other things like that. So um, yeah, it could be, it could be better than. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we expect maybe we are being trolled by the movie <laughs> that's true though dennis quaid yep i have to check myself make sure i'm saying the right one um uh he's very over the top in this and i guess that's because that's i guess that's how maybe jerry lee lewis was but i often like over the topness but there was something i didn't like about dennis quaid's Overacting, uh, overacting it, in this. Yeah, it, I was. It reminded me of Ace Ventura level. <laughs> yes, like, yes, totally. Like he even kind of dressed like, like Ace Ventura. I don't know. There was like was, this lot of bearing of his chest. Super over the top. Yes. Um. So yeah, we have Alec Baldwin back yeah. again with Winona. Um. But I guess they only get one scene together, where he saves her or whatever he like blesses her her. yeah (laughs) her head and then she immediately just goes with jerry lee lewis because um so it's towards the end of the movie and she's like i guess not loving her life and so she's like oh somebody is offering to like save me maybe that's a maybe that's what i want maybe i need a change (laughs) i'm assuming this is what she's thinking when she goes up to get like blessed yeah and then she looks to jerry like you should come. You too. should come because obviously the the whole like preaching that Jimmy Swaggart is doing is like directed at his cousin, which that's another thing I didn't know Jimmy Swaggart and Jerry Lee Lewis were related until this movie. Yeah. That was an interesting thing to learn. Um, so yeah, so then Jerry just goes, "No, if I'm gonna go to hell, I'm going there playing the piano," and uh, and then walks out the door, and then Winona just chases him and like kisses him, and they go off together. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's it. That's too bad. (laughs) Terrence Malick wrote a script for this. Really? (laughs) Yeah. He wrote a version of the script in the beginning, uh, which was turned down for being too dark. (laughs) 
I can't imagine what that would have been like. <laughs> I mean, this was pretty dark. Like, I, I guess it wasn't maybe portrayed in a dark way, but I think the fact that he was married to this 13-year-old that he abused and everything yeah. was very, was dark enough. I wondered, though, if you played it straight and there's something more dark about not acknowledging the weirdness. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes yeah. it's, there's something creepier when you try to suppress the content by having really bright shots and really music like when, sequences and really yeah. you know like or uplifting. like the scene the scene when he goes back to the the r&b club from his childhood and he's still like looking through the kind of weird hatch door in the back or mm-hmm. that that kind of like what do you call it like a salute no like it's a, a cylinder no yeah, but like a it's a weird half door, half door yeah, that yeah, you'd yeah. see in like a bar and and it's just so cartoonish or whatever but I don't know. That's almost worse. Like, I wonder if it was, uh, if the music and the the way the film is, the other elements of the film were kind of acknowledging it, then it, you know, if it were like um, Lolita or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the one with Jeremy Irons. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a great film, but like at least it probably would have been scarier if the whole time it was a big over-the-top joke or something. Yeah. Well, but then again, Stanley Kubrick's uh, Lolita is very funny and and pretty good so maybe that defeats my point but I wanted Uh, to talk about this scene with the piano when he lights it on fire no no that that well I was gonna say I had a thing to say about that but I was thinking more about when uh, Winona Ryder comes home with two of her classmates or whatever (gasps) and he's um Jerry Lee Lewis is is on his piano and he's singing rock and roll Mm -hmm. and there's this weird kind of flirtatious back and forth between like the schoolgirls and Jerry Lee Lewis and his his piano's on uh, wheels and he ultimately like corners them against the wall with with the piano and they're giggling and and then the brother walks into the room I don't know that was like the most disturbing thing I can I remember seeing on film in a long time it was like if Todd Salons would not have something that troubling in a movie I don't know do you it did but i think there was a number of like little things like her being jealous about other girls being around him and then him like looking at her through the crowd and stuff it's like she's a fan like she's a 13 year old fan of him that just happens to have access to him and then he has like access i mean not that he didn't have access probably to all of his fans but like the yeah. fact that he picked one, like, he lives with a fan, and then yeah. he has like very close access to one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just another object of desire that's easy for him because he doesn't have to do any work. Yeah, you know. Well, and he can train her up from the start. Exactly, kind of. I guess. It's creepy. It's so um, gross. Also, I like I thought of myself as like a new kids on the block fan. <laughs> I felt like that was the most like relatable age. I think like. <laughs> I was probably younger than 13 when I liked New Kids on the Block. But still, like, just, you know, dreaming of marrying this, like, pop star. Right. And if the pop star had actually asked me to marry him. Yeah, when I was 13, I had a huge crush on Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right there. He was, like, 40 and I was 13. Right. But, yeah, that would be, like, it's disgusting. And so I guess Jerry Lee Lewis was actually 23 when he married the 13 year olds and in this uh dennis quaid was 34 or something 32 or 34 i think when he played this role and winona was 17 so at first before i knew how old dennis quaid was at the time i was like at least she's 17 mm-hmm. maybe he's in his 20s like it's not the big difference that we were complaining about with like rob Lowe and stuff 
Um, but no, it's still creepy. It's still creepy. <laughs> I read well, an article and yes. she's like, my parents, my parents said it's like, are cool with my roles. She basically okay. kind of probably runs all her stuff by, at that point, ran stuff by her parents and they said right. it was okay. But maybe they didn't realize. This was also 89. And I feel like even in the 90s, like there's some things that are written in the articles from the time that's like there was a premier magazine article written by a female journalist who was like on set watching it like you know them watch the rushes and do different things and she wrote that like basically Dennis Quaid the director and Winona would like always be touching each other like all the time and that um when they're watching the rushes Dennis Quaid slips into the chair behind her her being Winona easing her into his lap to watch the things and I'm like what and then yeah she's like whether she can't keep her hands off the guys or they can't keep their hands off her oh like weird things like that were written about what was happening and then the director said she's very sexy without seeming to be somebody who has a lot of sexual experience but it's not as though she doesn't understand the kind of effect she has on guys Whoa. Yeah. That was all from that premiere magazine article so it was like And she said about Dennis Quaid, so Winona said about Dennis Quaid and the director, they're so protective towards me, I feel like a little doll in a doll's house. So I feel like there was a lot of like weird power and like age and like gender struggles like happening behind the scenes. Uh, Yeah, it's a little creepy. It sounds all creepy. So I guess as we're talking about the creepiness, should we get to the sex scene? Because that's like probably the peak creepy. Yeah. So when she's talking about that in the Premiere magazine article, she calls it the insertion scene. Oh, my God. Because, I mean, that's ultimately what it is, right? This is the first time she's had sex. I guess yeah. she's still 13. Yeah. Um, I think if I'd watched this when I was a kid, I would have been, like, terrified. Like, it would have traumatized yeah. me, I think. Yeah. Like, it's... her face, she just looks like she's in so much pain. Yeah, it doesn't look pleasant. That's it's awful. really, really awful. I mean, and then she gets into it, and then he's all, like, throws her away and says, yeah, and like, says, you know, you seem to know too much, or, like, yeah. you move, you wouldn't move that way if you, I forget, I wrote down, I think, what, exactly what he said. Yeah, but Basically, he's, he, you don't move like, you don't move like no virgin, that's what yeah. he said. Yeah, he's, like, every, every type of terrible dude in one scene, because he can move from, yeah. like, sort of, he's the predator, but then he's also the jealous sort of over instantly like insecure. Yeah. 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 I'm depressed now (laughs) talking about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's the weird thing about, because I don't think people listening who, who didn't see the film understands that it's a very light, breezy, goofy movie. Most of the time, like it moves on a really mainstream kind of, PG feeling clip most of the time and then mm-hmm. these moments uh, darkness like the content yeah. itself doesn't really match the tone which is what, yes. again, where I think like a Terrence sure. Malick might have given I don't know a darker tone with the right like weight or something but I, don't know. I don't even know if that would necessarily be a good film I'm just yeah. thinking yeah. Um, I mean it makes me think like what if the biopic is just reimagined as a hit job on problematic performers, you know? Maybe that's a good thing for the Me Too era. Of Instead of it just being like, you know, a kind of, they're saints who go through a bad patch where they're like whoring and, you know, doing drugs and treating their spouses really badly, you know? But then 
Johnny Cash stops being mean to June and then they live happily ever after. There's never problems after that. And Mm. that kind of overarching thing, you know, what if you had something, I mean, obviously it's hard to get permission to make that kind of film, but um, this film sort of imagines like this alternate universe where the biopic is used in a way that it, that it seldom is. Yeah. Like you're saying that this is more of a hit job than most biopics are. Yeah. I think, I think totally there's like, and Mm -hmm. because like even I, I mentioned it before, but the um, the the Jimmy all is by my side. There's a scene where he you know beats his girlfriend with a phone in a jealous rage, and then there's another scene where he's like interrogated by British cops, and you sort of understand like the gendered and racial complexities of this short period of the period right before Jimi Hendrix becomes famous and stuff. Great Balls of Fire, like you're not you don't learn more about Jerry Lee Lewis. You just find out more and more of like what a vapid, vain, yeah. uh, uh, you know, just completely amoral monster monster that he is. And that that to me is what was like, I don't think I I don't know what I would compare this to. Yeah, it's interesting because I guess you could think like at the time, you know, people were. Uh, like audiences, I guess, probably were questioning him, not even prior to the 13 year old wife thing, but like because, like, he should, like, he got up and danced, like, in the same way that Elvis, like, oh, his hips are moving, like, that's Satan or whatever, yeah. right? And it's like, it would be easy for this biopic to be more of a, you know, saying, look at how, you know, backwards everybody was to think of him where he was just like innovative or whatever, like, talented and stuff, but. Mm. To actually show that actually no, he's like a, yeah, amoral and all of the things that you said. Um, yeah, that's that's I think why I'm like maybe this movie's better than yeah. than uh, I thought it would be. The the only sort of quarter it gives is at the end when they say, well, you know, he would give his best at every performance for however many years. You know, when they give that kind of that kind of title card, you know, yeah, yada yada, end, what yeah. happens? For and the he's still playing tonight ensue. somewhere. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere tonight, he's giving right. it his all. And yeah, it's sort of. Like he a, is still alive, Jerry Lewis. Oh yeah, okay. Sorry, <laughs> the real, <laughs> sorry. the real guy. I like that you said sorry. Like sorry, I had to tell you <laughs> that he is dead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Winona does not say Jesus in this film. No, Jesus. Which so was the count is still at one. But. One interesting thing. So there's, there, somebody played Elvis in this movie, and his name was Michael St. Gerard, and I looked him up. He played Elvis a lot. So in the oh. same year that he played Elvis in this, he played Elvis in a movie called Heart of Dixie. And then in 1990, he was in the TV series Elvis... And then in 1993, I think there was a thing which maybe was this TV series, Elvis. It was also like a mini series that was called like Elvis, the early years, which I kind of remember. Um, In 1993, he played Elvis on Quantum Leap. And Mm. then he played Link Larkin in Hairspray, which was kind of an Elvis-like I remember the Elvis Quantum Leap episode. Yeah? Well, that was him. (laughs) So cool. So there was a go-to Elvis. Yeah, I mean, he looked like Elvis. He looked fairly like a young Elvis, I guess. What did you think of the Chuck Berry scene? 
they like didn't let that actor talk at all. No, <laughs> they uh, just gave him was, no lines. It's a very sporting Chuck Berry to like have this Dismiss. guy mouthing off to him. Yeah, like. I know. No, he he would have said something. He wouldn't have just been like mm, made faces at him yeah. and then just shrugged. Okay, just oh, well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think he. I mean, he did the stage manager or whatever. I don't know who that was. The Booker maybe mm. who was arguing with him. Um was maybe doing all the talking for him and Chuck Berry was just like, whatever, this guy will tell you where it's at. I'm going last, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Winona won the Best Young Actress Starring in a Motion Picture Award for this film in 1990. Nice. So the Best Young Actress. And then she was nominated by the Chicago Film Critics Association Award as Most Promising Actress. Cool. Fair. Yeah, that young actress thing. I think the award was called the Young Artist Award. For yeah, yeah. best young actress. Cool. <laughs> she done good. I mean, her acting was. Yeah, she pretty, was good. Yeah. Yeah, she was impressive for having to ha- have all that complexity in a role where she's playing a thirteen-year-old at seventeen or eighteen. Yep. Do you think that as Winona's career got on, um, that she would? avoid roles like this in the future that you know the dark troubled characters like in heathers and beetlejuice would that or or maybe even more like the vaguely counterculture things like um what's the grunge movie she's in singles or reality reality bites sorry i get them mixed (laughs) up We'll edit that later. But <laughs> do you think that she not not was typecast? But do you think that that this is a type of role she would take further on? No, if she had known, you know, what she would be known for, or or do I just not know enough of her films and that she's versatile this way? I think she always tried to pick roles that weren't too Hollywoody. Is this a, this is not a very like. Like, I don't know, like, after, when I want to, I have to edit all of my rambling, but there was an article I read uh, today where she was talking about doing this movie, and she was more or less getting excited to shoot Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. She's like, I just play this weird girl named Dinky, so she was already ready to play another weird girl, and she just, that's her, I guess she was also given scripts, and she said, like, I only choose scripts that I like that are interesting to me, so... Mm -hmm. I mean, that must be part of it. Like, she's not... I guess I think, like, um, um, Square Dance and, and um, you know, Beetlejuice are so different. Heathers and this are kind of different. Although, maybe they have more in common than... Yeah, they're kind their, of in dark, odd tone. dark yeah, films. They're dark, yeah, darkly funny, but... Um, uh, so does she gets on a dark film trend, I think, for a little bit here. Mm-hmm. But it, I guess in the 90s, it kind of gets more to a 20-something film trend. Or, right, you can only I don't play know. child roles for so long. Yeah. And, yeah, obviously she's probably being typecast, too, you know, based on Beetlejuice or whatever. There's a young girl, child bride. <laughs> Let's just, I don't know. Well, I think it's, too, like, if she can get away with being playing a 13-year-old, then she just gets she gets to have more teenage roles like going through her career Mm -hmm. um the guys that do the cage club podcast um 
Joey and Mike, they so they did the Nicolas Cage podcast where Nicolas Cage was like in maybe two teen movies and then he was an adult forever after. But like Keanu, I think, was a teen for so long because Keanu is the same age as Nicolas Cage, but just looks like he's 10 years younger yeah. at least. So I, Winona, I think, just has that same thing that she just looked younger and could get away with being in those types of movies. And maybe got better roles. Keanu and Winona are going to be in a film together. I know. So we're going to be on that episode (laughs) of the Keanu podcast. (laughs) Heads up. (laughs) We're going to be on that. Um, uh, One thing, there's a marquee article about this movie. And in it, Winona uh, had a dig at 1969. So she said, maybe I'll play. I think they were just asking her about like the types of roles that she'd be she'd pick or whatever. And she said, maybe I'll play a one dimensional character and be in a lousy movie. Actually, I sort of already did one in 1969. No, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, snap. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. That's speaking yeah. to how she chooses her roles, too. Like yeah. maybe she she's OK with being one dimensional one day. Um, we'll see. We'll yeah. see if we come across some one dimensional characters. Certainly not the next one. No, certainly not the next one. What is the next one, Rekka? Welcome home, Roxy Carmichael. You're very excited for that one, aren't you? I really am. You can, like, recite that movie, couldn't you? (laughs) Start now. Scenes of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's a good rendition of uh, My Way. No, it's a bad rendition of My Way (laughs) in the movie. Awesome. Uh, Do we have more things to say about this movie? Nah. Not for me. <laughs> cool. Well, Chris, thanks for talking. Yeah, thanks for having me producer on, guys. Producer Chris is here. Yeah, C- producer Chris is always here, but he's never usually saying anything, so it's awesome. We got to hear from him. And I think we heard from Beans as well, his cat. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, welcome home, Mark. Roxy Carmichael, maybe with a guest. Um, in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Winona Forever is part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. Episodes produced by Chris Landry. Music by No Refunds. Hosted by Lindsay Gibb and Rekka Tulsaram. Contact Rekka and Lindsay at Winona at cageclub.me.